Here we uncover the traditions that are working for successful parents. For the parents who are ready to do things differently but aren't sure how, go to wandahoward.com and download my free blueprint. It will help you create the difference you've been looking for and enable your kids to be emotionally healthy and confident throughout their lives. Now is the time to start doing things differently. Welcome back, everybody, to the Successful Parents Podcast. I'm your host, Wanda Howard, and my co-host, Emery Howard. And today we have with us Chase Thornock. So you've, uh, if you've been listening to this show for very long, I've had his wife on a few times, Carly Thornock, and she's amazing. And Chase is also doing incredible work right now. He helps so many people be able to transform their health journeys, those who are um, just suffering with things of immune deficiency and your body is shutting down and the doctors can't seem to answer why, he really does help people unlock their own body's natural ability to heal itself again. And he does that through cold therapy. And it's so cool, the different things that I've learned from him as well. So I'm excited to have him on and see what, to learn more about his story. I love his story and I've heard it a few times, but we were pulling up uh, his website right before the show and so that Emery could learn a little bit more about him. And right away, she had some questions. So I'm going to let Emery take it from here uh, for a little bit. And yeah, go ahead, Emery. So first of all, there was this big headline that said you all uh, you uh, were going to like you were close to dying. <laughs> That's pretty big, pretty big headline. You're not dead. I'm not dead. I made it. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. I, uh, I, I developed something. So I, I was sick for so long that it got to the point where I couldn't eat any food, which is a problem, right? You die if you don't eat food. And so the doctor said, well, let's put a, let's put a tube through your nose and down your throat and into your stomach and try to feed you that way. And that didn't work. Uh, and so they said, well, We've got one more option, and that is that we can put a line into the artery in your arm, and we'll push it to the top of your heart, and then we'll feed you via a bag you can carry in a backpack that pumps food into your arm. Wow. And so that's how I survived for quite a while. But eventually what happened is that there was bacteria that developed on that line that got into my blood, and it caused me to go septic is what it's called. And when you go, when you go septic, your organs start to shut down. Um, Essentially, it just means your body, I was probably an hour or two away from dying at that point. But I didn't. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) That would be just, I hate it when doctors poke me or prod and just different things. It's not fun anyways, but I can't even imagine having so many different wires and and them having to go that far in and everything. But. Well, I don't want to get I don't want to get too graphic, but when I went septic, they had to pull that line out, right? Because yeah. it was contaminated. So they pulled that one out and then they had to start antibiotics to try to kill the bacteria. But when you go septic, some really interesting things happen to your body. And one of them is that your veins become really weepy is is a way to describe it. And so um so they tried to start IVs and they couldn't they couldn't get one started because oh. the veins kept blowing up is what they called it. And so by the time they got around to like the 15th or the 20th oh. vein that they'd blown up, I was like, I can't take this anymore. And they said, 
Well, go to the ER because these the nurses in the ER have experience starting IVs on people that have veins that are in trouble. Right? So here you are, septic, and they're telling you just just go down to the ER and. Well, they could. I, I, it was the home health nurses, right? And they're trying to get it started, oh, and they're I like. See. And by a certain point, it's starting to get in their head too, right? Mm -hmm. It's obviously a discomfort thing, but then it becomes a psychological thing. And then they're like, you know what? Yeah, the ER, they have the most experience. So So at this point, you were at your home and they were talking about Okay, gotcha. I was at at my house. And so honestly, the doctor's like, we need to get you close to a ventilator. We need to get you back home. But I had only been out of the hospital for a few days by that point. And I told (laughs) him, I said, listen... You can get you get me close to a ventilator, but all you're going to do is start antibiotics. So you can do that here. I'm not going back to the hospital. <laughs> that's what I told them. <laughs> so that's why I was at my house. But then when I went back to the ER, they called it they called it cowboy. I don't I don't know why, but they had me put my arm up above my head, and then they were able to go into a deeper vein into my arm. Oh. Anyway, and the antibiotics did their job. It killed the bacteria, and it almost killed me, but it didn't. Um, yeah so so that's that story terrible well yeah I thought mine was I have some stories of the hospital and like one time they had to poke me 20 times to get an IV in and I thought that was bad enough but it finally worked and I didn't have to do anything special so <laughs> that would just that's be so bad it's not that the like individual poke right uh-huh. like the pain there is not but the yeah it just gets in your head I totally uh-huh. get that yeah definitely um, but did we even click play to this podcast? Yep, we hit record. Okay, it's recording. Okay, good. Good, good. <laughs> just stop. We don't want to miss any of gotta, it, do we? Got to make sure that we get all the good juicy details, huh? So I, where my brain is going, though, with all of this is your responsibilities as a dad. Like, not only were you dealing with this health challenge and everything going on, but there's a lot of emotional side that goes into that when you're the caretaker of your family and you want to provide. And so what walk us through a little bit of what you were going through there and what got you through to be able to feel like you could function as a father. Well, it's interesting. I obviously didn't know it then, um, like I know today, but it was actually my role as a provider and a caregiver that kind of got me to that point. Yeah. Um, And the way that that worked, I didn't realize it at the time, but I had dealt with some loss when I was little. Uh, Both my parents had passed away and that had gotten locked inside of my body. And so when I got married, I got sick right after I got married. And then when when my wife got pregnant, I got really sick, right? So essentially what my body was dealing with was this idea that when people are close to me come into my life i may lose them and so my body would go into this fight or flight response that was creating a lot of what i was dealing with so ironically enough um it wasn't more of the same that kind of got me through and got me out of it but in that time in that time period yeah i was really focused on trying to provide for my family um i ended up raising a bunch of money from my bed and building some assisted livings in the midwest just to try to provide for them after I died, essentially. Um, But it was a big component. And actually focusing on that made my disease worse, paradoxically. Mm -hmm, Definitely. So what was that kind of work that you were doing? Was it super strenuous or was it more just the psychological everything going on that wasn't being dealt with? 
to get me out to to move me beyond for that point or so, it, so you said that you were doing work from your bed to try to make sure that you're oh. taken care of yeah, so that work was I was I was working with investors. I, I came from a venture capital background, and so I was I was raising money. I had gotcha. to raise several million dollars to build some commercial buildings uh, okay. in the Midwest. I had to find a way. In other words, I had to find a way to make money for my family without me being alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that would be so. One, there's the element of just the stress of providing and your body's already going through a lot of health stresses, but then there's the element of the stress of this job that you're doing is a constant reminder of, I might die. I might die. I might die. And so it's not really giving your body a lot of break there. And then on top of that um, huge trauma from childhood and like, I can relate so much to what you said. As soon as I got married, same thing with me because of loss and different things I had gone through like I got sick right away and for the next long while, just in and out of hospitals constantly. And um, yeah, <laughs> Emery remembers. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, though, you keep talking about like it was also kind of the thing that got you out like parenting. Is that correct? That helped you hold on. Am I understanding that right? Yes, yes, and no. I, I it's it's an interesting way to it's an interesting perspective to look at it. I mean, I had, I don't know. I like it doesn't make a very good story for me to say no. <laughs> but <laughs> I feel like I feel like I was laying there. I mean, I, I still remember the day that I was laying there in my bed. I couldn't walk by this point, um, and I was in a dark place. Like it was a, I I was yeah. really sick, and. Everything up to that point had been external motivation for what I was doing in my life, right? <clears throat> and the answer that I got from God in that moment of laying in my bed was he said, Chase, if you're going to heal, you're going to have to heal yourself. And that was interesting because at that point, there was no external anything, right? Mm -hmm. Like the answer that I got was that what I was seeking was inside of me. Mm -hmm. Um. And that was that was key for me because I think I think parents as they go down this journey, there's there's kind of this notion in our culture maybe that like if you're a good parent, you do it at the cost of yourself. Yeah. Right? That you sacrifice so yourself <laughs> to the nth degree and oh. and if you do that, then you're a great parent. But but I think and I would imagine you teach this, right? That it's if you don't take care of yourself, there's no way you're going to be able to take care of others whether that's a child or a spouse or, or anything else. She definitely and so <laughs> is she teach that good. So at that point, was it was it, no, it wasn't what the parenting did was it brought me to that point of awareness. It brought me to that point of desperation where I was willing to like ask the right question, you know? Um, yeah. And then, and then once I got everything lined up, then then parenting became an option because the tr truth is at that point, I wasn't parenting. No. Right. I was laying in a bed mm -hmm. and there's certainly more to parenting and providing than physically. Right. You can still connect with your children if you're in a bed. Um, but I guess the point being when you're really, really thick, there's, there's not much else you're doing. Yeah. So what, what was, it, did it look like for you? Oh, do you have a question? Yes. Go for it. Um, so how, like having, um, 
like so did you have kids at that point I did yeah at okay, that point so... I had three little boys oh, wow. okay so how... <laughs> we need more boys huh yeah we do um but um if like at that point like um I I being a kid I think that would be scary for me like if my dad was going through that so like um for them and for you like how how did that work out basically? like did they talk about it and how yeah did that go? yeah like how did it go with you being super sick and kids worrying and not sure like, that's how- a really good question and you know what it's still something that I think they're dealing with um <laughs> You can hear it in my voice a little bit, but I got a little bit of a cold this week. And I noticed that when I did, and I think this is common, whether you've had a parent almost die from something or just, you know, but as a kid, you're getting to be more independent, right? But when you're really little, you're fully dependent on your parent to help you and provide for you. And so that gets wired in into their bodies, their little bodies too. So when I got sick this week, they started to feel a little bit more anxious, a little bit more nervous. And the neat thing about that is that the goal is not to get that to go away for them, right? I think sometimes when someone feels uncomfortable, you just want it to go away, right? (laughs) But the truth is, is that it's happening. And so the most important thing that we can do for one another is to, to hold each other to connect with each other, to allow each other space to feel those things because they're not comfortable emotions, but they're happening, right? And then hopefully over time, what happens is that as they develop something called the frontal lobe, your brain's still growing, did you know that? But as you develop something called the frontal lobe, the frontal lobe helps you to define meaning to your experiences. As a child, your life is very present. What's happening now is what's going on. And then as you get older, you're able to develop a sense of future and past. Sometimes that's a problem. But the idea is is that the frontal lobe will help you make sense of things. And the hope is is that it doesn't hurt you as you grow up. Yeah. And I I really like, too, that in that moment when you, like, recognize even now when your kids kind of get anxious and start freaking out because they see that you're sick, um, that you are teaching them to do the very thing that God impressed upon you of heal yourself. Because just like you said, you cannot take away what a kid is going through or anyone. And so letting that be okay. And just so many different memories popped up, but one in particular of when my grandpa passed away, I was super close with him and I was about 16. And I believe that we will like see our family in the next life. Like I, I knew all of these truths of, yes, I know I'm going to see grandpa again, but it hurt so bad. And I just remember when I went to my parents, like they punished me for being sad about that. Like, no, you're not having enough faith. You're not like, it was so much of this um, shame. And, and I felt like because of that, there was so much that my own body didn't allow itself to just naturally heal from. So it's, it's very true that just like comforting your kids it's a huge healing part for them. Yeah. And while and while there will be parents that intentionally punish their children, right? That's certainly an option. There's a lot of parents who unintentionally do it. And we don't realize that we're doing it, but essentially what happens is that our child feels an uncomfortable emotion and we don't want them to feel that way, 
right? And so we do various things to try to stop it because yeah. your uncomfortableness is making me uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to feel this way, so da 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 Punish, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Um, stop feeling it. And so what you learn to do is is you didn't actually stop feeling it. You just learned to disconnect from it. Right? <laughs> and it's called dissociation. And what I came to learn through my health was that that, that that dissociation actually severs the neuronic connections between your brain and your body. They can no longer co- collaborate and uh, calibrate. And you start to exhibit health disease problems. Yeah. And this kind of brings us back to cold therapy and the brilliance behind it. And so um, just a little bit of background. I've been able to ask Chase some of that about cold therapy and I've been listening to his podcast, which is what magnificent. So if you guys that are listening, have any questions about um, just immune deficiency and how to help your own body heal, go check out his podcast. Cause it has seriously opened my eyes to a lot of things that I didn't know my body was capable of, but to kind of give a little bit um, of what I was going through. So I have fibromyalgia and just mono and different things that my body, um, the doctors kept saying, well, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. There's nothing that we can do about it. There's no, no help for it. Just take a pill and deal with it for the rest of your life. And it was getting so bad though, that during winter time, I could not go outside without intense mm-hmm. physical pain. Like it just felt like shards of glass, any, any amount of cold. And so when Chase first brought up, <laughs> actually it was Carly, it was your wife that first brought up cold therapy. I was like, no way, no way will <laughs> I ever do that. And actually now that's a, that's very uh, much part of my routine. My daily routine is making sure that I get cold, especially for me, especially on the back of my neck is seems to be like my mm-hmm. reset point. If I, if I get the rest of my body, but not the back of my neck, the rest of the day is harder. So that's been an interesting thing for me. But um, anyways, it's really helped my own just nervous system stop freaking out so much. I'd be like, I'm this isn't going to kill me. And I, I've been able to enjoy cold more and just enjoy weather changes more, which is a huge deal when you have young kids that want to go out and play and you're like, no, sorry, the wind's blowing a little bit. I will not go outside right now. <laughs> and so um, yeah. just really cool. But tell us a little bit more about your journey of how did you find out about cold therapy? You're, you're going um, through all of these changes and the doctors are telling you what to do and it's not really getting the results that you want and you're not healing. So what happened that cold therapy came into your world and how, how did all that come about? So there's that old saying, I don't know where it comes from, but it says, when the student is ready, the master will appear. Um, and that and that was my experience. And, and my master showed up in the form of several different people, right? Um, uh, from a, a traditional therapist to a yoga therapist <coughs> to uh, Wim Hof, right? So these people started to show up in my life and it all started to like make sense it all started to click together but it came from it all started obviously with that like hey if you're going to heal you're going to heal yourself right so that was the first thing to like opened up this door of okay well at first i felt abandoned by that answer <laughs> i felt like yeah. i'm gonna die <laughs> there's no way this is gonna work uh, but then it opened up this possibility right like this aha which was okay if you're telling me but if I'm going to heal, I have to heal myself. Then you're telling me this is possible. 
And you're telling me I can figure it out, right? Like, I'm like, that, those are two really important things. So I had two critical conversations with my doctor. The first And one, I also want to point out too, though, that that's a huge, huge, um, overwhelming thing, especially after you go through dissociation to feel like you are capable enough of anything, let alone mm-hmm. understanding some pretty technical things as well as having the physical ability to do that. So I just want to point that like, that's a huge stepping point. And so you had to take that leap of faith. Anyways, keep going. Good point. So one of the conversations with my physician was that that the medicine that they did have that was working was steroids. It was prednisone. But if you've ever been on pre, have you done prednisone? Is that something they treat? No. The, this was this was one of the things that I am terrible with. When people talk about their medical journey, I'm like, that is so cool that you remember it. I had such a firm belief that I could never remember anything. That when my doctors told me anything, I was just like, okay, and I. It just totally left. So I have no <laughs> idea to this day. My husband remembers far better all the things that they put me on. So yeah, I'm I'm useless when it comes to the answering those questions. <laughs> it's it's usually one of the first drugs that they try with inflammatory Probably. autoimmune diseases. Um, and what it does is your body takes it in and your liver converts it into synthetic cortisol, which is your body's primary stress hormone. So I talked to my doctor and I was like, listen, I know that you're giving me this and that this works, but I also know that stress makes my disease worse. Is that right? And he said, yeah, that's true. And I said, okay, so, so help me understand if stress makes my disease worse, then why are you giving me a drug that mimics my body's stress hormone? In a sense, keeping my body in a fight or flight, stressed out response all of the time. And he said, well, what we do know is that these, the, the cortisol is hugely anti-inflammatory. That's why we give it to you. I said, that doesn't make sense to me because if I'm stressed, I should be uninflamed. But when I get stressed, I get really inflamed, right? Uh-huh. And he couldn't quite describe to me why that was going on. So that was the first one. The second conversation was I had learned about something called the autonomic nervous system. And the autonomic nervous system is the resource allocation system of your body. It determines whether the air that you breathe and the food that you eat goes to surviving now via running away or fighting something or surviving later via digesting food, your reproductive systems, your resting functions. Okay. And I said, hey, the drugs you're giving me are for this fight or flight system. They're working really well. As a matter of fact, Carly's like, I thought you were going to get out of the car and fight some people on the road. Because it was like, I was just in fight or flight all the time with the stuff in my body. And I said, where's the drug for the rest and digest system? And he said, we don't have one. And I was like, what? And he said, we don't know much about that system. And we really don't have drugs that we know that interact well with that system. Wow. So both of those, I was like, that's it. That's it. That's it. Okay. So then... I I said, where is my drug for these systems, right? Where's my drug? And so I came across the breathing in the cold in the answer to this question. I also came across other methods. The the breath work and the cold work is not, uh, it's not unique in that it's the only way you can access these systems, right? But it happens to be pretty accessible to most people, except my clients that live in Texas, we struggle with cold because they all have water towers and they're like, yeah, my water's coming out at 90 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> so cold water is a luxury if you've got it. So what I learned was that through the breathing exercises, you learn, you start to activate the sympathetic fight or flight response. 
and you start to make it stronger. It's just like a muscle. You have to exercise it, okay? And so your body learns to produce more cortisol and adrenaline. And going back to that question with the doctor, why when I'm stressed, I get more inflamed? What I learned was that my body wasn't producing any cortisol or adrenaline. And what little that it produced, I burned through so quickly because my body was in a constant state of fight or flight that my body had to go to its next best option. And its next best option are inflammatory cytokine cells. They're little warriors. They float around in your body. And then there's essentially your body says, hey, look, there's a lion chasing us. That's what the fight or flight response is for, right? And Mm -hmm. if we don't have cortisol and adrenaline to make us faster and stronger, we're going to produce some immune warrior cells to fight the infection from the tiger if it catches us and claws us up. But there is no infection. It never comes, right? So those things float around in your body and eventually they start destroying healthy tissue. And that is the beginning of autoimmunity, right? Mm -hmm. So the breathing activates and strengthens the fight or flight response so that your body produces its own prednisone. Okay. And then you work the other side of the system and that's what the cold does. The cold activates the parasympathetic nervous system and it reverses all of the blood flow from your arms and your legs which you use to run and fight, right? And because your body's trying to preserve its core temperature, it closes all the arteries and capillaries in your arms and your legs and forces blood back to your core. And the blood is the carrier of your resources. And it just so happens that your digestive system, your enzyme production, all of those organs exist in your core. So now all of those resources can feed those systems so that your long-term survival is, is, is in a healthier space. Because when you think of chronic disease, it's a dysfunction of your long-term surviving organs. Okay, and so explain a little bit right there. That's one part that always gets me between long-term survival and living in the now. Like, so if you are, if your body's just trying to survive right now, is that the less preferred one? Because you want your body to know that it's going to live a long time? <laughs> That's a really good question. So there is no right or wrong. Okay. Mm-hmm. These systems developed for a purpose. So one way to illustrate this example is when you were buying your house. Okay. If you said, hey, listen, I don't care about furnishing the house. I don't care about window treatments. I don't care about anything. I just want square footage. Right. So I'm going to put all my budget into square footage. Okay. You could absolutely choose to do that. Would that be a comfortable place to live? Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. And you probably wouldn't have any money to heat it or cool it or to run Mm -hmm. water, right? As as opposed to saying, okay, I can devote all of my resources to square footage or I can devote all of my resources to junk in a small space, right? And I can become a hoarder and just have a ton (laughs) of stuff in a little space. Is that a comfortable space to live in? No. It's a balance between the two, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what you need to understand is that the optimal place is a balanced position. It's called homeostasis, okay? But it's balanced between the two. And honestly, this system interacts, these interact with each other in this really beautiful dance all day long. So when you stand up, for example, from sitting, you, the blood pressure in your head drops. And if those systems didn't compensate, you'd pass out every time. And for people dealing with autoimmune disease, maybe that's more of a reality. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But for most people, for healthy people, right, when you stand up, 
the sympathetic, the fight or flight response turns on. That pushes up your blood pressure and your heart rate so that blood stays in your head so you don't fall on the ground. Okay. But then once you're upright, it wouldn't be healthy for your blood pressure and your uh, heart rate to stay elevated. So the parasympathetic nervous system kicks on and brings you back down to a healthier baseline. So when I started my journey, I understandably, I villainized the fight or flight response. I was like, this is awful. Shut this thing down. I don't want this anymore. Right? <laughs> but what I came to learn was that it was a critical piece because now, and you can measure this in my blood, but now I can release more adrenaline and cortisol on demand than someone who's bungee jumping for the first time. And the reason why that's important is because now I dose myself with prednisone and with epinephrine, okay, which are two of the most anti-inflammatory compounds that we're aware of. And it's my body's own chemicals, which means there's no side effects, yeah. right? And I, and I, and I want to make sure that it's clear for people listening, because I've heard you say this a few times, the first few times, I didn't get it. But what you're really talking about is your own ab uh, ability, your body's own ability to produce those hormones. You aren't injecting yourself with anything. It is literally your body. And that was something like the first few times I heard, I was like, I think I heard that wrong. I think I heard that wrong. <laughs> so, anyways. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. So you have two little organs on top of your kidneys called your adrenal glands. Mm -hmm. And those are responsible for producing adrenaline and the cortisol that your body needs. And so when you exercise those systems, those glands get more adept at producing those chemicals for your body. And mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, if you take prednisone, you can't just stop taking it because your adrenal glands have stopped making cortisol mm -hmm. because you've been ingesting it. Okay. And so you have to wean yourself off. So your adrenal glands start producing it again. Okay. And so I think that's important for people to understand because this is a finite resource. And when our bodies we as a society are so focused on comfort, right? Like when do people experience cold in the 10 second walk between their house and their preheated car, right? Like we don't do it. But a hundred years ago, if you had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, you were walking a hundred yards through the snow, right? Mm -hmm. Like it was just a different experience. And now that muscle has become so weak and our stress has become so synthetic, Right. Like mm -hmm. going out into the cold is stress. Your body has to deal with it. Standing up is stress. Your body has to deal with it. But so much of our stress is psychological. So much of our stress is not the even fear ours. Of just... being uncomfortable, not the actual uncomfortable. Exactly. We're scrolling <laughs> through Facebook and we're like, oh, that's awful. Wow, look at that. <laughs> and we're dumping our adrenaline and cortisol. And then when you run out of it and then we start inflaming, right? And we're like, what happened? Why did my body fall apart? Well, <laughs> there's, there's why. a person why yeah and it's it's uh perfect too with talking about that i recently just got off of a trip where i went camping and um it was lots of fun and it was very cold and before i had two realizations one um just a year ago i never would have been able to do that trip and enjoyed myself we went on a bike ride where we got like electrical bikes and we were going 24 miles an hour and like in super cold cold early morning rainy weather and it was a blast and it was fun and and it wasn't like this painful experience so those were like some highlights but something else i realized was there was a few times like you said in the middle of the night i had to go to the bathroom which meant getting out of the warm sleeping bag going across and you know going to the bathroom and um that was it was no big deal it was 
I woke up early. My body was ready to wake up early and it just did it. But then I got back home and the moment I was like in a heated house, warm blankets, everything, alarm goes off because the week's going on as normal again. And my immediate reaction was like, okay, I'm going to stay here as long as possible and let my husband get that alarm and stay in the warm blanket. And I just thought to myself, that's so weird. I was like, the first one to wake up sometimes like it was it was so normal and so easy and now like you said the artificial stressors are more debilitating than the actual ones and it's yeah, yeah. fascinating i think i think there's two main tenets about comfort that i've learned through this experience that are invaluable to me now right and the first is that comfort is not happiness yeah right but it's much easier to sell someone comfort than it is to sell someone happiness. As a matter of fact, you can't sell people happiness, but you can sell a lot of comfort, right? And then the second thing that I've learned is that comfort can kill you. Yeah. <laughs> right? And I didn't think so. And when you think about it in that perspective, it's it's just all about stress, right? Like, so your body now has become more adaptive. That's what health is, is the ability to accomplish with your body's own machinery, whatever stressful thing you want to accomplish right mm -hmm. whether that's running a marathon whether that's playing and wrestling with your kids whether that's going outside in the cold is your body adaptive enough to be able to handle a shift that's yeah. health yeah and i really like it goes right along with how you were saying like uh fight or flight isn't the negative which i really appreciate because so many people i feel like are focused on fight or flight's negative or it's the positive and then the more the relaxing one is the better one and anyways but the the um weaving in and out of those two is the ideal of how to use them and um just bring it back to comfort zone i talk a lot on my podcast and what i teach that you the best place to grow is from the comfort zone and when i talk about that people are like what and it's always because of the false comfort like the false comfort like you said can kill you but when you understand, like, if you're like, I want to be a runner, like you were saying, and um, so you put your body to the max and you just push yourself way beyond what you were designed to be able to do, then it's going to kill you too. But if you use your comfort zone in an ebbing and flowing way, then it, it actually becomes your foundation and not your crippling uh, place either. So I just, I love this conversation because those those two elements, the fight or flight, um, is often perceived as this terrible thing, but it can actually be used for good. And the comfort zone is often perceived as this terrible thing, but it can also be used for good. So it's just, I love just the small shifts are so much more powerful. And there's so much more to this conversation that I would love to have. And I could just, uh, I need to have you on again, <laughs> but we're running out of time. So, um, Emery, did you have any other questions before we sign off? Um, no, you pretty f much filled the question thing in. So yeah, <laughs> thank thanks for coming, Chase. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you for coming. And thank you for all of the effort that you put into your life and everything that you've done because it is helping so many people right now. So what is the best way for those listening that know they need your help? How is the best way for them to get in contact with you? Yeah, if you go to whatmagnificence.com, you can find the podcast, you can find a free mini course if you put in your email um, <clears throat> with the basics of breath and cold. 
and also see how uh, how we can work together if you're interested. And then just one last thing I want to share to the parents out there. Um, one piece of this thing that I think is useful to understand is that children are unable to regulate their autonomic nervous system, which is this amazing adaptation because an infant can know if it's in danger, not because it understands the complexity of its environment, but simply because it knows that mom is scared, right? Mm. That's, that's all it needs to know. And if mom goes into fight or flight, I go into fight or flight, okay? Mm -hmm. And so the breath in the cold is really helpful because, yes, it helps to strengthen and reset these systems. But then working together with me, for example, is, is really useful because then you start to become aware of your, your hidden triggers that you didn't know were there. And those often, if we're unaware of them, that's often what we pass along to our children, whether yeah. we know it or not, because they, they tune and learn and teach their autonomic nervous system based on where mom and dad are at. So with all of that being said as a parent, um, be mindful about allowing space for yourself to feel uncomfortable things. When you do, try to move to a place of connection with you and your child rather than one of disconnection, which is maybe how you were taught, right? Maybe how you grew up. But if we can move to places of connection when we feel those uncomfortable things, it's going to uh, make the odds of that damaging their future health much, much less. Yeah. What a good piece of advice. And I want to ask, is there is there something specific that you do in those situations that we can leave the listeners with that might bring that to a very specific thing that they can do? Sure. So we have this magical way of communicating that we don't even understand fully, but you two right now are touching, right? And because you are touching your heart rate and your breathing will synchronize with one another. We're not sure how that happens. We do know it's the vagal nerve in your body that communicates somehow and communicates the state of your autonomic nervous system to each other. So whether or not you're just able to be in the same space, it really is about seeing one another, okay? Touching and connecting with one another, all right? And so the thing that I try to do with my children is again, the goal is not to get them to stop feeling what they're feeling. If, if that's my goal, then I'm likely to be in fight or flight, right? Mm -hmm. If my goal instead is just to allow it space and allow them to be, then I can hold them and hug them and breathe, right? Deep, deep belly breathing, soft, soft belly that they feel. And pretty soon their systems, and that's the other side of it. Yeah, they can't regulate it, but because of that, they will respond rapidly, right? So make sure you're in a, in a place that's safe and then breathe with them and then teach them, teach them how to breathe. That's honestly something we teach out of our children and we don't even know it. But yeah. if you lay an infant on the ground and watch them breathe, that sweet little belly is so soft <laughs> and it just raises, raises. And then as we get older, it's taught out of us and we begin to shallow breathe, which communicates to our bodies that they're stressed, that they should be in fight or flight. And it stays in that state. Right. So yeah. um, breathing is so important. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, me too. Because like, um, not only like, like, um, I like hugging, as you can tell. I like to cuddle, but um, mm -hmm. uh, like 
um, just like when I hug my dad or my mom, it just like, um, like, I don't know, just like the breathing helps. I don't know why, but like the heart rate, the breathing, I don't know why, but it does. Do There's you feel a lot safe? of times. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's that safe feeling that tells your body, we're okay. So we're going to shift our resources from our arms and our legs, which are our fighters, right? We're going to pull it back to our core so you can digest the food that you ate, so you can produce the enzymes that you need to digest the food that you ate. All these really important systems, your body says, okay, let's turn those back on. Oh. There's been lots of times where you can tell with your own kids when you're talking to them, trying to talk them through logically of like why this issue doesn't need to keep them freaking out. It doesn't work. And doesn't then it's like, okay, just, just come here. Let me hug you. Let me hold you. Then it's like, oh, the world's fine and great again. And they go off and it's, it isn't that they're, um, well, it, it's interesting because yes, their brain is still growing, but it isn't that they are unable to really grasp um, their own reality of what's going on. It really is just that there is a another part of our body system that is vital to be able to produce and understand and to breathe through. And so. So said it said another way, the child is unable to dissociate from their feelings. Most yeah. adults are able to. Okay. It doesn't mean the adults not feeling it. Mm -hmm. That's, that's usually what happens, right? We're still feeling our bodies are still experiencing it. We've just learned to disconnect from it. The child mm -hmm. hasn't learned that skill yet. Yeah. And they won't unless we teach them how to do it. And there are certainly times where dissociation is important. Don't get me wrong, right? In a life or death situation, it's not, okay, I know that you're sad. It's not about that right now, right? <laughs> like you got to take care of business in that situation. I'm not villainizing any of this stuff, okay? Yeah. But when it becomes dominant and unbalanced, that's where it really becomes a challenge. The last thing that I want to point out is that when a child doesn't have an outlet for this or they start experiencing physical symptoms, right? It always originates in their stomach. I have a, I have a stomach ache. My tummy hurts, right? So That's because that area of their body is being starved of nutrition, mm -hmm. right? So when your child starts to experience those symptoms, take a close look and see where they've been at physiologically and emotionally, Okay, but it's so interesting to me that that's usually where it starts for most kids. Yeah, so good. Well, thank you so much, Chase. So many good, amazing things that we can start doing right now for our kids and for ourselves to just start having better lives. So thank you, and we'll see you all next time. Bye. Thank you again for being a part of our podcast family and for the difference you are making right now in the world and in the walls of your own home. If you're wanting to support parents everywhere, you can do that by leaving a rate and review. This helps so many find connection and answers they are searching for. Also, don't forget to go to WandaHoward.com and get your own free parenting blueprint. I love you all and we will see you next time.